want the Big Ten Championship. And we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast. Here on The Athletic, I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with Austin Meek. We are both still Austin uh, quarantined separately here in Ann Arbor. How is uh, day number 5,000 or whatever this has been? I don't know. How are you <laughs> doing have, over there? I have completely lost all track of time. I don't know what yeah. day it is. I don't know what month it is. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it could be It could be July right now, for all I know. Yeah, completely yeah. lost track. Somebody said that we are perpetually on, like, a Tuesday at 1 p.m., like that's just every day, uh, which I thought was pretty good. Also, the uh, the time between uh, Christmas and New Year's where everybody forgets what day it is, like that's uh, so we're we're like just living in that weird funk here. Yeah, there's not really uh, there's not really Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday anymore. There's just day. There's day yeah. and there's night, and, and, and there's it's night, day yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. So right now it's day, and we're going to talk about some, some Michigan football topics. We do have a couple things to talk about today. Uh, one story that uh, Austin published earlier uh, this week, I believe, right? The uh, the uh, survey was this, or no, it was last week was the survey, and then uh, we're gonna get into uh, another project we were working on this week. But first, um, if you haven't seen it, go check this out. Austin did a did a, a fan survey with some really interesting questions about Michigan football, sort of taking the temperature of. Uh, where folks are at, which is always sort of an interesting thing. I think, it, and this is kind of a perfect time to do it. Um, got the questions out, got the responses back. Before we get into these, Austin, what were some of the ones uh, that maybe surprised you or some of the ones that uh, were maybe most telling uh, for you when you uh, went through that? Well, I think the responses to that survey crystallized maybe the perception that I had of Michigan's fan base as being a fan base that's kind of conflicted about itself. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you can see, you can really see the split between the fans on one side who are pretty disenchanted with where things are at, uh, who definitely expected Michigan to be performing at a higher level under Jim Harbaugh and are, are pretty vocal about saying that they feel like mm-hmm. Michigan uh, should should be in a better spot. And then you've got another segment of the fan base that, you know, is generally pretty content with things. You know, sure, they, you know, they'd like to beat Ohio State once in a while, yeah. uh, like to win the Big Ten once in a while, but overall, if Michigan is winning nine games a year, you know, there's a segment of the fan base that I, I think is going to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, I think those people are a little bit annoyed with, with the other people, you know, yes. who they feel yes. like are expect too much, are too negative, you know, need to chill out a little bit and, you know, just enjoy the ride. So you, know, you definitely could see that split uh, and that divide in the Michigan fan base. Yeah, and I think that question number ten here is is probably the one that nails that one, which is you you asked, and you know we had more than a thousand people respond um, to this, and it, you know none of these are scientific, of course, but it's you know it's a it's a good chunk of people, and you know that's uh, the question was where does Michigan belong in the college football hierarchy, and you know the number one answer was with fifty nine point six, so sixty percent uh, said top ten most years, Big Ten championship once in a while. Uh, and then perennial college football playoff contender on par with Ohio State was 15%, which to me has always been sort of my read on it. When you get away from Twitter and you get away from the social media world, uh, the greater number of people who seem to follow Michigan, and it is a large number nationwide, so it's always kind of hard right, to gauge that. And I, I know you, you kind of split that up into the disenchanted fan and things of that nature, but 
you know, 60% of people saying they think they should be a Big Ten contender and a top 10 team um, seems accurate to me, which is why the um, the question down there about what was, I forget, I can't find it now, but the one with, oh, here it is, uh, number 11, the next one, on a scale of 1 to 5, mm-hmm. how would you rate Jim Harbaugh's performance? And the number one answer was 61%, say, mildly disappointing. So to me, that that kind of says it all right there, right? Like, I think most Michigan fans would tell you they're not insane. They're not expecting to be in the playoff every year, but they are expecting more than what they've gotten. Yeah, there's, you know, if you look at the um, the spectrum of where Michigan fans are at, uh, in terms of how they evaluate Jim Harbaugh, you know, you've got the fans at the extremes, and it's about ten percent at both extremes. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, about ten percent who are just massively disappointed, and you've yeah. got about ten percent who are actually like, you know, pleasantly surprised, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, just really happy with where the program is. And then in the middle, you yeah. know, you've got the bulk of Michigan fans who range from, you know, a, a little bit disappointed. Uh, that's that's the biggest chunk of them, like you said, about 60%, yep. who are like, you know, it hasn't been everything we wanted it to be. It hasn't been a train wreck, you know, but yep. we definitely hoped it would be more. That's that's where the bulk of the Michigan fan base is. And then you've got about 20% who are like, you know, this is basically what we signed up for. Uh, right. We're winning nine or ten games every year. Uh, we're, yep. we're making pretty good bowl games. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that... 20% or so who are, you know, pretty content with things. Uh, that would probably be about, you know, that those are the people who are like, what can we do? You know, we, yeah. uh, we're in a, uh, we're in a, a period of time here where Ohio state is insane. Uh, you know, signing insane recruiting classes every single year, mm-hmm. uh, performing at, you know, a level that historically Michigan has never been at. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, that would be the segment of the fan base that says, you know, we don't love losing to Ohio state every year. We definitely don't. Uh, yeah. but that's maybe more about Ohio state than it, than it is about Michigan right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that sticking with that, if we'd asked this question, five years ago, you know, number 10 there, where do they belong in the, in the hierarchy? Um, I'm not sure, you know, cause there's 79% of people either said top 10, uh, in a title once a big 10 title once in a while, or top 15 on par with the Wisconsin, Ohio state. That was a 20%, 21.1% said the top 15 one. If we'd asked that question five years ago, I'm not sure we would have gotten 20%. I think that number would have been a lot lower. And I think mm-hmm. that as time has gone on with Ohio state sort of emerging as this, you know, thing that we've really never seen in, in modern times from them in terms of consistency, and we'll see if that holds up. Um, I think that number has grown. I think that top, you know, people saying we should be on par with Wisconsin and Ohio State, if you're a Michigan fan, or I'm sorry, Wisconsin and Penn State, I don't remember hearing a lot of that at the end of the Brady Hoke tenure and the beginning of the Jim Harbaugh tenure. I, the, the top 10 with the Big Ten Championship once in a while was probably still the leader. And then there were probably more people that were starting to fall into the maybe we can be a, a contender for the playoff every year. Uh, but I don't remember a lot of people saying, so that's interesting to me because I think a lot of folks, I think, have adjusted their expectations over the last five years. Um, and that is an interesting uh, you know, topic and, and thing to sort of notice as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that unless your team is winning national championships, yeah. uh, the standard expectation for most fans is, we should be a little bit better than we are, you know, mm-hmm. wherever you are. Like if you're, you know, if you're a six and six team, most fans would say, well, we ought to be, you know, we ought to be a seven or eight win team. And then you get to that plateau and they're like, well, we ought to be a nine or 10 win team. And I, it's kind of where Michigan is where, you know, I think the majority of fans are like, yeah, we're a, 
a nine or ten win team right now. Yeah, uh, we ought to be eleven or twelve. Um, you know, the other the other uh, part of this that I found a little bit interesting. It, it was uh, it was kind of a leading question, I think, probably on my part. Uh, but but I asked uh, the That's fans okay. to identify the uh, the greatest strength of the program. Seventy two percent said yep. academics and integrity, uh, which you know it's it's true. We hear it. Michigan yep. fans do uh, they do take pride in that. Uh, the the flip side of that. 48%, almost half of them said Michigan's biggest weakness is recruiting. Right. Um, what do you make of that? Are, are people, are people really, uh, are people really into the academics or is it just like, it, well, we don't have a whole lot to cling to right now. Yeah. So that's what so, we're going to go with. So I think it, it, it goes, you know, I think that the academic and integrity thing has always been something that, you know, um, you know, folks have liked to, you know, at least brag about even when things are are down. That was always a, a sort of a default, but I think it's always sort of been there, um, and I think that's just part of the Michigan. And, and that's also why you know there's a lot of people who aren't Michigan fans who are casual college football observers that find Michigan fans you know kind of annoying because they've heard this you know academics and integrity thing for 50 years, and sometimes you know it can be a bit much. Uh, but I do think it's a genuine. I do think it's a genuine thing. I do think they value it. I think that. Um, sometimes that gets taken a little bit too over the top into the salesmanship category. Uh, and it, it can, maybe for some people it can be looked at as, well, that's just an excuse because you're not winning. Uh, but I do think it's real. Um, I think they've done enough, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh's done enough over the last couple of years to, you know, with his, you know, we want you kids, when you come here, we want you to get real degrees. I mean, I, I've heard him say that more times than I can count. And I don't hear that very often from a lot of others. Um, you know, he's talked about, you know, Jim Harbaugh talked in the past before he came to Michigan, when he was at Stanford, when, when he had those remarks that people <laughs> yeah. always remember that I think he's, you know, said, maybe I got a little bit too intense on. But I mean, he did bring up years ago, he was one of the one guys that said, look, I came to Michigan to play, to play football and I wanted to be a, what was it, a history major or something. They wouldn't let me. And so, you know, he's tried, I think, to make that, you know, if you want to be an engineer and come play football here, you can do that. You want to be a doctor and come play football here, we can figure that out. Um, I do think that, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, that, that everybody doesn't do that, but I do think that by and large, there's a lot of schools that they're not, you know, no, no you're not going to come here and be a doctor. You're coming here to play football, and that's just what this is going to be. And I don't even know if I have a problem with that anymore, to be honest, but I do think that it's a, I think there's more genuine, you know, um, genuine words with that sort of thing than, than not. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it can get, you know, it can get pushed down your throat a little bit, <laughs> a little bit much. And I think that's what, what people will get maybe bothered by. But I think that's, I think that's pretty genuine. And then, the, and then the, the weakness, the recruiting. Yeah. I mean, how can you argue? I mean, it's, you know, you're not winning, you're not at Ohio State's level. You're not winning these big 10 titles because you're not getting, you know, necessarily enough talent. But at the same time, it's also one of these weird, you know, maybe you are because Michigan did have 12 or what was it? How many guys did they have the combine? They had a good number of guys at the combine this year. Yeah. So they have some, and they're going to, they're, yeah, 11. So they're going to have guys drafted. They're going to have a good handful drafted this year. So if we're talking about, is that enough to be in the top 10 every year? I think they probably had enough to be in the top 10 every year. And I think they are to perform this year. So it's maybe a little bit of that. And then maybe a little bit of coaching, which is the second answer on that list, right? Which is, you know, that makes up the bulk of uh, the bulk of those two answers. Yeah, twenty five percent said uh, coaching was the biggest weakness. Mm-hmm. 
I would go a little more 50-50 on that. I would yeah, go a little I, more 50-50 on that, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I would say the same. Uh, you know, the academics thing, I guess you could say that cuts both ways. The people who said yeah, it was Michigan's biggest weakness were probably thinking, you know, if we had a few more online classes and yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we didn't care quite so much about the rules, uh, we get in the way. might be able to win a few more games. Yeah. Uh, I do want to give a shout-out to uh, a couple uh, a couple groups in particular. Uh, shout-out to the... 35.7% who are looking forward to the Ohio State game more than any other. Mm-hmm. God bless you, you know. <laughs> you watched that game the last two years and you're still uh, looking forward to it more than yeah. uh, more than any other game. You know that you are a, a diehard Michigan fan. Yeah. Uh, and the other, uh, the other group that I have to give a shout out to is the, uh, where are you here? 10.8% who say podcasts are their favorite type of Michigan yeah. football content. Uh, I assume you're listening right now, so thank you for that. We appreciate it. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. Awesome. A lot of good answers. If you haven't checked that out, Austin's got that up uh, on the site, uh, the headline there. Of course, there's the poll. The results are in, what athletic subscribers had to say about Michigan football. Pretty cool. There's a lot of cool stuff in there uh, and some good numbers to sort of uh, let you know where folks are thinking about things. <clears throat> this week, though, Austin, we also had another project that we, you and I both worked on. Um, where we went through the top player at every jersey number, one through ninety-nine. So I did the odds, you did the evens. Uh, this was an interesting exercise, if not a long one, but it was an interesting <laughs> exercise uh, in that it, you know, there's a lot, a lot of numbers that you go through, and you're like, wow, this is really. There's like five All Americans here, and then there's a couple that are like, okay, well, this is not as deep. <laughs> Uh, yeah. but really interesting because, you know, it made, for me, it made me, it reminded me of a bunch of different guys that I hadn't thought about in a while, um, and things like that. But, uh, what were some of the, your, you know, your, your sort of takeaways, uh, going through, you know, your portion there? Yeah, well, there were, uh, there were a couple of them that were really difficult. And like you said, you know, at a school like Michigan, uh, you've got 140 years of football to go through here and, yeah. you know, a, a long list of. All Americans and NFL draft picks and great players, and I, I think I don't know if this was your experience. Probably the hardest ones for me were the, you know, the guys you had to leave off the list. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I even looking at, I'm just going down the list here right now. So number ten, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously Tom Brady. Uh, yep. Probably, probably got to be on the list. Uh, but if yeah. you know, if you look at the guys who wore number ten, there's if you just look at what they did in college at Michigan, you know, Todd Collins, uh, you know, had. Passing numbers that were even a little better than Tom Brady's, you know, at Michigan. Yep. Uh, Devin Bush, Devin all Bush. American, top ten pick, mm-hmm. great player. Um, even a guy like Jeremy Gallon, yeah, who yeah. put up some great receiving numbers. So, like, I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, I, I think you got to have Tom Brady on there. But it, it definitely wasn't uh, wasn't an easy call. Were there a couple that were uh, really tough for you? Yeah, the hardest one I, I think that I decided yeah, there were a couple, um, but the hardest one I think was seventy-seven, which is um, kind of the tackle number. Uh, there's mm-hmm. it's it's one of the more historic, uh, at least in recent years anyway, in the last and maybe the modern era, where you have Jake Long, uh, who was the number one overall pick uh, in the in the 07 draft, two-time Big Ten. Lineman of the year, two-time captain, two-time All-American, and then, but that means you have to pick him over John Jansen, who is a two-time captain, uh, an All-American, I believe. I think he was Big Ten Lineman of the year at least once, I think once, uh, and he has a national title ring. And so it's like, so you have that, you have guys like uh, Taylor Lewan, uh, who was a top uh, 10 pick, I want to say it was. I think he was a two-time All-American as well. So that's a, that's a number that's really, really difficult. And then I also had a hard time with... Um, some of the guys that played, you know, like number three, 
for example. Um, I don't know if I'm saying the name right. John Mal- Malbetch. I think that's how you say I don't know. if I, mm-hmm. I'm a reader. I'm not necessarily a <laughs> listener. So Malbetch, he was a, he's a college football Hall of Famer from the early 1900s. But number three is also worn by Trip Wellborn, who was a defensive back in the you know late 80s, who's also, I mean, one of the most dynamic athletes in that era that Michigan ever had, who, you know, had a big injury at the end of his career if, you know, if he hadn't had that injury. So, you know, I had a lot of those instances, too, where it was like you see a guy maybe more modern and a guy from back in the day, but there's some of these guys from back in the in the old days that are playing like eight positions and are an All-American <laughs> at multiple. It's like, how am I supposed to leave these guys off the list? They're Hall of Famers on multiple levels. And there's a couple guys, too, that we saw that were Hall of Famers, Pro Hall of Famers, College Hall of Famers, and some of them, it's like, well, there's other guys at that position, too, that were really good. So I think overall... You know, the number of running backs, the number of offensive linemen uh, are probably the two right there that were the hardest ones. The running backs and the offensive, there's so many of them because Michigan's run game over the years has just been so good. And, you know, that, you know, in every era, I think you can find good, you know, good production at both both those spots. Yeah, a lot of running backs, uh, mm-hmm. but the guy who has the single season rushing record... Uh, did not make the list, right? Because he uh, had the uh, uh, good fortune or misfortune, however you want to say it, of wearing uh, Desmond Howard's number, right? Right, yeah, yeah, Tim right. Tim Biakabatuka. So, so you, you leave him off, and then you know a guy like Desmond Howard comes up, and then you think to yourself, and I tried to do this a, lo- a number of times as well, what would a guy like that look like in today's college football? And a guy mm-hmm. like Desmond Howard was maybe the the one that stood out to me the most. And uh, actually one of the guys we just mentioned there, uh, Wellborn was the other one. But I tried to think of what would De- what would Desmond Howard, a guy who was, you know, he caught 19 touchdown passes in 91 at five foot 10, which is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, his entire college career was like a highlight reel, uh, you know, with the punt returning and everything. He's one of the greatest punt returners that's ever played football. Uh, and if he played today at four, you know, he's running the 40 at like four, I think he was a sub four, four guy or right around there, if he's playing today, he's like just as good or maybe even better, you know, because I mean, he's the type of guy that's like his skill set would translate probably better in today's game. There were so many guys that I I thought, boy, he's ahead of his time. And I think Desmond Howard is is probably a a good example of that. I mean, he, he had a, a memorable NFL career, but I'm not sure if Desmond Howard had played in today's NFL, if he wouldn't have had even more of a memorable NFL career after that. Yeah, you put him in, uh, you know, like the the Kansas City offense. Uh, that would that would yeah, be fun to right. watch. You know, the way yeah. football has evolved in the time since he's played. Uh, a player like him would be a lot of a lot of fun to watch right now. You know, I'm just looking through this list again. Um, you you definitely saved me one uh, on number seventy two. So yeah. I think at that point I I had been looking at that list all day and my eyes were kind of starting to cross. Um, so I totally uh, skimmed over the fact that Dan Deardorff wore number 72 the <laughs> yeah. first time I looked at it. And I got to Jumbo Elliott. I was like, well, that's yeah. got to be the guy. I mean, you know, great player, yeah. uh, great NFL career, uh, mm-hmm. just got selected for the College Football Hall of Fame. And, you know, another one of those guys who's certainly deserving uh, to be on the list, uh, but yeah. didn't make it because... If you got a pro football Hall of Famer uh, who wore the same number, then uh, you, you got to give the nod to that guy. Yeah, and if we didn't get uh, Deardorff on there, uh, probably would have gotten a phone call here in the next day or two, <laughs> Re- realigning us. But the, but that's the that's the one when you go through the offensive linemen. Um, you know, Steve Hutchinson, seventy six, mm-hmm. on there. Bredesen, you you have on there at seventy four, who was a four year starter. Um, Greg Skrepinek I have on there, Jake Long. We didn't even have John Jansen on there. Jeff Backus is on there. I mean, we've got all, Reggie McKenzie 
was a guy who played with Deerdorf, uh, a guy who, another college football Hall of Famer, who in 71 helped Michigan rush for almost 4,000 yards, which is ridiculous. I don't care what era you're playing in. So that really, to me, so many, so many linemen, offensive linemen in particular, uh, that have played at Michigan that didn't make this list. And, and in that, like you said earlier, Austin, I think that there's so many guys that I could think of as I'm going through this, that it was like, no offense to this guy, but, you know, Steve Everett, another one that I have on here, 51, who was just a phenomenal interior lineman in his day in the, in the early 90s there, and in the NFL had a good career there as well. Um, and uh, the other one, too, the other one, 37. Uh, so 37 is Eric Anderson or Jared Irons. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are two All-American linebackers uh, who were outstanding football players who basically have the exact same resume in like every way. I mean, they, their numbers are pretty much the same. They're both outstanding. They're both great, super productive run fitters. Uh, I went with Eric Anderson as he won the butt kiss, went 4-0 against Ohio State, and won a share of four Big Ten titles. So I was like, well, I guess he has to be the guy. But, I mean, that's what that's sort of the trick where it was just like there was so many of those. 37 and 77 for me were probably the top two. Yeah, a bunch of linebackers on this list who made like yeah. a million tackles and it yeah. didn't necessarily go on to become like NFL stars, uh, mm-hmm. but were, were very good college players and uh, were deserving of being on this list. Uh, are you familiar with Merritt Green? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. Does I looked name... him up. Okay, I looked yeah. him up during this. Yeah, because <laughs> I think we discussed it a little bit. Yeah. Because there, you know, I mean, most of the names on this list, I think people will recognize. Uh, that was one where I've got to admit, no idea yeah. who that guy was. Uh, yeah, because some ended of them up get a little... the list because number eighty four was uh, was a little bit slim pickings for me. Yeah, there, there's some there's some thinned uh, thinned out numbers uh, where there were some guys that might be on here that you're like, oh, I remember him, but I'm not sure if I would put him in the category of the best. Uh-huh the best 20 or 30 or whatever it was. But for the most part, I think it speaks to sort of the tradition they've had here is that most of the numbers, if you did this at most places, at most schools or most programs, we would have a bunch of those numbers like that. I think you'd have a bunch where you're just like, well, uh, he was a pretty good player on a pretty good team. So he gets on here because there's nobody else at his spot. Most of these numbers, I would say 90% of the numbers that we went through, um, it was more difficult to leave somebody off than it was to find somebody who who had to fill space. Which, if I'm honest, that surprised me a little bit. Even though I know that they've had so many great players at Michigan, but to see it all laid out like that, you know, to have to go back through and think of a lot of these guys that had these crazy careers, um, you know, it was impressive. I mean, I've I've done this before. I did this. I did something like this years ago, like eight years ago. I did an all-time lineup, and that was maybe the hardest thing I've ever had to do. This is. This oh is, yeah. Yeah, this is probably up there with that, though. This is in that same category because it's super interesting because you can have a debate like at just about any spot, I mean, for the most part in here. Yeah, and I'm just looking right now at so 86 and 88. Both of those were pretty tough because uh, yeah. so 86 is Mario Manningham or Ty mm-hmm. Streets, uh, mm-hmm. which I remember those guys more you know from their NFL careers. Like I don't have a lot of distinct memories of, of yeah. them playing at Michigan. Uh, I went with Manningham... At 86, uh, you know, the numbers were really close, uh, but it seemed like he was, you know, he he did it. He put up his numbers in three years, right? Um, Yep. And kind of right away was was an impact player. Uh, So I went with Manningham at at 86. Uh, 88 was uh, Jim Mandich or or Jake Butt, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, that was was a hard one. Uh, You know, 
but had a little bit of an advantage uh, in terms of the numbers. Yeah. Uh, but one of the hard parts about about you know these exercises is trying to compare and contrast across different eras. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously the guys from the modern era are are going to have the best numbers because you know just that's the nature of football. You know, offensive players uh, put up put up bigger numbers today than they did 50 years ago. Uh, but a yeah. guy like Jim Mandich, who, you know, caught 120, 120 passes, 1500 yards uh, as a tight end in the sixties, that those, mm-hmm. those are, those are pretty good numbers. I ended up uh, putting him on the list over Jake, Butt. yeah. And the other one too, that I always forget that is super difficult is, um, it's number seven. So it's Rick Leach or Chad Henney. Uh, Chad Henney's mm-hmm. the passing leader. He's, he basically has every record. Uh, and, but Rick Leach is the guy who, he was, you know, he was Schimbeckler's first, you know, wow quarterback who, you know, he starts 38 games, started as a true freshman for a coach. Or not, I don't know if he was a true freshman. I think he was. Uh, two sport, you know, so that's, I, I went with Rick Leach because I, I think I always end up defaulting toward him on that one. But that's always, a, that's always one that's tough because you look at it and you're just like, okay, you know, win totals don't always mean everything in terms of you know whether or not a player is good or not you know not as good as somebody next to him but you know there's something sometimes about some of these where it's like what's a tiebreaker right so it's like if a guy has a national championship or something or if a guy has multiple big 10 titles and another guy didn't play on a team with multiple big 10 titles like i don't know sometimes it was hard because like a guy like maurice hurst who i put on i put maurice hurst on here who just graduated a couple years ago because he's one of the best interior lineman they've ever had. I mean, Maurice Hurst didn't win any Big Ten titles. He didn't win, but I don't know if that's necessarily his fault. <laughs> you know, so it's right. like so it's so it's hard sometimes to pick between, you know, a guy who maybe was on more successful teams, like you said, in a different era, uh, as opposed to a guy who maybe wasn't on a team that had as many titles. And then you kind of look at that and say, well, you know, is the guy who was on the more successful team better because he was on a more successful team, or is the guy who didn't win as many titles better because he wasn't and he still put up numbers. So it's 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 kind of tough. Yeah, you see the contrast. Like right now, I'm looking at 14 and 16. 14, mm-hmm. Brian Greasy you know, didn't mm-hmm. put up huge numbers in his career, but a quarterback of a championship team, uh, you know, probably deserves to be on the list. And then, you know, Denard Robinson, who's just the opposite, who put up insane numbers and is, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most exciting quarterbacks ever to play college football. Yeah, uh, you know, didn't didn't win a ton of games uh, during the right. time he was here compared to some of the other quarterbacks on this list. But but you got to um, have him on there, you know. But it's you got to have him on there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I think. Overall, looking at the list, it, it definitely skews toward uh, the 97 team. A lot of mm-hmm. 97 guys on the list. Uh, and the uh, the 47 team, the, yeah, the Mad Magicians. Magicians. Quite, a few, mm-hmm. quite a few of those guys on the list, too. Was there a guy that you came across that you hadn't heard of before that you were, like, fascinated by? Was there a guy that you were like, whoa, what is this guy's deal? Like, is, you know what I'm saying? Is there a guy like that? Yeah, let me... Let me find. Cause I've got one while you're. I've got one while you're. Yeah, looking. let's hear yours. And I'm gonna find mine. So a guy named, and I've heard of him before, but I hadn't read as much about him. Probably uh, Henry Hill, who was a defensive mm-hmm. lineman um, in the early Schimbeckler years. He was a walk-on that came to Michigan, ended up as an All-American. Was a 200-pound-ish nose tackle who ran a four-six, <laughs> and I, and was like considered, you know, to be one of the most disruptive forces. Uh, because he could get off the snap faster than anybody else, like in in his day, and and you think about that, and you're like, okay, well, a 200 pound nose tackle is not going to hold up in 2020. Of course, it's different eras. But then you, if you if you pull yourself back and you think about it, and you say, okay, well, athletes maybe were in different shapes and sizes back then, or whatever. 
But a 200-pound nose tackle who's running a 4-6 just destroying these people in front of him with his... I mean, that to me was... You know, that reminded me of, like, high school. When we play high school football and you'd have the kid on the team who was, like, the wrestler who played nose tackle who was, like, 150 pounds who nobody could block because you couldn't get him off the ground. <laughs> it's like one of these... <laughs> so he was the one that maybe stood out to me the most that I was, like... I think I read about Henry Hill for way too long because I was like, I got to get through this. I, I got to stop reading about some of these guys. He was one that came up on my list that I was like, that's an interesting guy. Another one would have been um, uh, Maynard Morrison, hmm. who was a uh, for Harry. He played for Harry Kipke. Kipke called him the best linebacker he's ever seen, but he also played fullback and center and was outstanding at both. So, I mean, like, I mean, these are the things. He was a running back, an offensive lineman, and a linebacker. Like, what are we talking about here? That's crazy. So, um, those guys are always fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm looking right now at number 62. I had uh, a guy named Quentin Sickles. I don't know mm-hmm. if that name uh, rings a bell for you. Uh, one of those guys from the uh, from the 47 team. Apparently, yeah. uh, he was knocked unconscious during uh, the 1948 Rose Bowl. Uh, mm-hmm. and came back in the game and uh, finished the game and gave a memorable uh, performance, I guess, for everybody but him. I don't think he remembered it, uh, yeah, which right. you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe we don't valorize uh, quite as much as we used to, but uh, certainly yeah. a, an interesting player. Uh, and then uh, number 60, so I got to admit, uh, Mark Messner was not uh, a name that I was overly Ooh. familiar with. Um, he is now. He, would, <laughs> he is now, yeah. If you would ask me to like guess... Yep. Uh, who had Michigan's sack record? That was not the name that I would have guessed. Uh, yep. But uh, quite quite a career for that guy. Uh, yes, uh, a, a name a name to be familiar with uh, in Michigan history. Yeah, he's one of the. I I would agree. He's one of the first ones back when I started covering Michigan. And you go through some of these exercises that you go through the lists and you go through. Well, so and so has a bunch of sacks. Where is he at on the record? And Messner's name was. Always, I was not that familiar with him growing up. Um, and then you go back and read about him. And yeah, what a career he had. My God. I mean, he's, he's the best pass rusher they've ever had in terms of, I mean, some of that gets a little skewed because they weren't counting sacks until, you know, the early eighties. But, um, but that is definitely one. The other one I wanted to point out just because, and I think most people know this story, uh, Bob Chappius, um, who was also on the Mad Magicians team. So his story is in, in, in 1945, uh, Bob Chappius, he was a gunner on a B-52 or B-25 bomber that was shot down over Italy in World War II. One year later, he comes back to Michigan, breaks Otto Graham's uh, conference record for total offense, and leads the Mad Magicians to a national title. And I'm just like, what is this? What kind of story? And so in 45, he's getting shot down over uh, Nazi-occupied Italy in a plane, and then two years later, he's uh, leading one of the greatest teams that's ever played to a national... I mean, that is crazy. Like, those those stories from those guys from the 40s and stuff mm-hmm. are, are wild, and there's so many of them that are really interesting, and a lot of people probably know a lot about all those, but this is one of those exercises that gave us a chance to maybe, you know, kind of go back and, and look through some of those guys again and remind yourself of them. Yeah. Well, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was fun. If, yeah. you're, if you're listening to this podcast, uh, the story should be up today at the athletic. So feel free to check that out. Uh, still, uh, I believe still have 90 day free trial. Uh, yep. On still the table if, if you're not a subscriber. Uh, so take advantage of that offer and get caught up on everything uh, as, as we wait for the sports to come back. Uh, thank you, everybody, for continuing to, uh, to listen to the podcast and continuing to read our work uh, at The Athletic. We also uh, we have a, an in- initiative right now, uh, the Support Local uh, mm-hmm. initiative, which is pretty cool, too, uh, spotlighting some local businesses that are stepping up during the coronavirus shutdown. So uh, you can check that out as well. 
well. And Nick and I will be back soon uh, to talk to you here on the RPM podcast. So until next time, thanks for listening.